Welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon. I'm Matthew Bunsen filling in for Al, uh, who's off today. Well, we just had on July 25th the anniversary of the promulgation of Humani Vitae, uh, the encyclical of Pope Paul VI, Pope St. Paul VI, on life. Uh, it was uh, issued on July 25th, 1968, in that year, that year of upheaval, of tumult, uh, but also a year, I think, that anticipated in so many ways uh, the problems that we had for the rest of the 20th century and now we are confronting here in the 21st century, in particular, on the dignity of the human person. And sort of at the center of so many of the concerns that we have are about life, and in that regard, Pope Paul VI was truly a prophet in his time with this encyclical Humani Vitae. To talk about Humani Vitae and the whole pro-life cause and where we stand and what's in the news, the great pleasure of being joined by Catherine Hadro, managing editor and host of EWTN's Pro-Life Weekly, as well as a very important voice, I think, in pro-life Catholic journalism, and I'm proud to say my friend. Well, Welcome. It's an honor to be here, and honestly, you're such an expert on Humana Vitae and St. Paul VI. So I'm looking forward to this discussion. Well, so we have this anniversary. We, we had uh, just a couple of years ago, and I think in 2018, the 50th anniversary. Yes. For those who may not be familiar with it, why is it important to mark these anniversaries each year? It, it gives us a chance to revisit these beautiful documents and really to delve into truth. And it's also an opportunity for us as Catholics to evangelize about what we know um, is the truth on the dignity of life. And I know it shortly we'll be able to talk about its Natural Family Planning Awareness Week yes, as well, is. which also falls on the anniversary of Humana Vitae. So that's its own celebration, if you will, and the opportunity to look at the church teaching. But it's important to look at the church's wisdom. And I want to reaffirm what you said, St. Paul VI's truly prophetic words when it comes to the dignity of life, but also about the dangers of hormonal contraception and what that would mean for our culture and for our world. And we've unfortunately seen the dangerous weeds that have come from hormonal contraception. Yeah, and we can go all the way back to the 1930s hmm. uh, with the decision at the Lambeth uh, Conference, for example, among, mm -hmm. by the Church of England that led to uh, the, the issuing of Casti Canubi, which is a, one of the first great statements on, on life. So this is a problem that was sort of expanding throughout the 20th century. But then came the, the wide distribution of contraceptives. Mm -hmm. Just from a historical standpoint, as somebody who charts where the pro-life cause is, how bad has it gotten? And and one of the questions is often asked, too, is what was the alternative? Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, just this week, one of the guests I have on the show is Erica Bakayaki, who is a Catholic legal scholar, and she looks at the feminist movement. And one of my questions to her is, when did we get to see abortion as this right? Yeah. And she pointed to the wide distribution of hormonal contraception because that's what it paved the way for. Abortion then became this backup for when when contraception failed. Um, it paved the way for sexually risky relationships, and it paved the way for the abortion business to really be the business that it is today. Uh, the alternative is, is the beautiful witness of family and marriage that the church teaches and was a stronghold for, and that did not cave to the pressure when other faiths and religion and religious leaders did cave. As much as people wanted to see St. Paul VI cave to this, he did not. He reaffirmed beautifully and clearly what the church teaches here. 
And what's interesting, too, you, you just said something I think that's important, and that is that he did not cave to the pressure. So right. Some would argue that uh, even the commission itself uh, was pushing him. Mm-hmm. It had sort of been stacked. It was a stacked deck. But also the, the widespread media misinformation mm-hmm. and disinformation that surrounded uh, why he did this and what was actually being taught here. Right. That was itself almost prophetic in the way that the pro-life cause is treated in media today. Oh, that's such a good point. You know, it's and I and I try to resist that kind of victim mindset of they're all against us. I think right. it's so so much. We have to educate others about what are the misconceptions, and I think a lot of that is coming up even with it being NFP Awareness Week. And this is an opportunity for us to say, okay, you might not know what you're saying is is so not true, but it is, and here's an opportunity to speak the truth. But I remember, so this week is the 53rd anniversary of Humana Vitae. I remember, Matthew, during its 50th anniversary, I had you as a guest on the show. I remember. And that was at the peak of the Me Too movement. And so we were able to look at, yeah, St. Paul VI real. St. Pope Paul VI really was this prophetic witness because he warned against the dangers of hormonal contraception and how it would lead to the abuse and use of women. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that. We've seen that. But the church has has st- stayed strong and in her wisdom wanted to protect women because we know that hormonal contraception and abortion and sexual relations outside of marriage only enable sexual predation. The church in her wisdom wants to protect women. Yeah, and the church now is uh, one of the key players globally uh, in resisting uh, human trafficking, in yes. particular sex trafficking. And yet uh, we have this constant drumbeat uh, that the church is opposed to women. I know, and I, I that is just such a, a common thing that and I, I, it angers me <laughs> because it's just as a woman – let me tell you, that is not the truth. It has the church and her wisdom has only empowered me to know myself, to know my body, and all the freedom that comes with that. And I, I think I'd love to delve into the beauty that we get to celebrate this week into Natural Family Planning Awareness Week too, yeah. and all that we um, have learned from that as well. Right. One other aspect too about uh, Humani Vitae's sort of prophetic look into the future was, uh, and this is one of those key passages in there where he talks about the day may come that the mm. government decides mm. uh, that it is in the common interest or the, the interests of a country mm. uh, to impose limitations. We are seeing the fruits of that, I think, in the People's Republic of China and elsewhere That's with limitations right. on family, but also then also really in the imposition on broader culture that we have to pay for abortion and contraception. That's so true. I mean, I've had a few conversations on the show about the demographic crisis that we really are in globally. But even in the United States, our fertility rate is at a historic low. Why is this happening? You know, it's it's deeply alarming. And now we're seeing a lot of di- different nations, including China. Now they're stepping back and saying, OK, actually, we need you to have more children um, because w- the dangers that have happened here from 
from these different mandates. Right. So within this, the end of this century, we're looking yeah. at a demographic winter, yeah. not just in the United yeah. States, not yeah. just in Europe, but really almost globally. I would say so. I would say so. Which is counterintuitive to so many of the things that we hear. Right. Because there is this, of course, alarm bell of this population crisis. I mean, just the other week, I reported on how Prince Harry and Meghan Markle were given this special award and even a financial award from this environmental group, UK British environmental group, for saying they were only going to have two children. Um, and they have two children. And they've said that because they think it would be harmful to the environment. And so they were given this special award. That is so deeply troubling. We we know we need to have more children right now. And even just from a personal standpoint, um, my mother is the youngest of 13. My husband's the youngest of 10. If we all these families limited to just having two children solely out of fears for the environment, where would we be? I mean, I wouldn't be alive. I, I don't think I'd be married. And, you know, how many beautiful, I don't know, just that that is not being open to our creator's will. The right. answer is to embrace both the environment and um, and life. the key there is uh, that you're doing this simply because of the environment or something like right. that. That you don't have other circumstances that may right. cause limitations exactly. in terms of the size of exactly. the Exactly, exactly. To that, uh, here we are uh, in the National NFP Awareness right. Week with yeah. the, under the title, I think, to have, to hold, to honor. That's beautiful. Yeah. No, and I will say even just um, – I've been observing, I think there's been more attention about it this year. I've noticed just even on Catholic social media, more accounts and more couples sharing their own personal testimony as to how NFP has been a gift to their family. And I, I think we can't take for granted the importance of sharing this information. I continue to hear very frequently people who aren't quite sure, you know, what is NFP again? You know, so who aren't sure of what it is or have misconceptions about what it is. I still read frequently, oh, NFP, that's the rhythm method. No, it's not. And in fact, I hear the abortion industry try and push that talking point as to what it is. But I think it's important to state, okay, what is NFP? It's the observations of a woman's naturally occurring signs and symptoms of her fertile or infertile um, periods of her cycle. And then it's up for every married couple to discern, are they called to be open to life this month? Or is there a grave reason they need to avoid this month? And it's incredibly empowering. Yeah, and uh, so the some of the misunderstandings and misrepresentations. Uh, we were just talking about the misrepresentations, like for example, of Humani Vitae, right. this idea that this is Catholic contraception. And it's right, and we hear this, and that we hear this idea of oh, you have a contraceptive mindset when you use natural family planning, not at all, because you are so in tune with your body, and you, if you are actually embracing NFP, it means you are actively discerning God's will, and that's the thing. Not every family is called to have. 13 children like my grandparents were, you know, and life truly is a gift. You know, just this week, I welcomed on the show Dr. Naomi Whitaker, who is a Catholic OBGYN and a Catholic naprotechnology surgeon. And she told me that she relies on NFP for couples, not just for necessary reasons, necessary health reasons to avoid pregnancy at times, but also to help them restore their fertility and to be able to get pregnant as well. So there are many benefits to NFP. What have been some of the uh, recent scientific uh, 
models and, and other things that we're seeing because there seem to be a lot of options now. There are. Uh, what does the, the what does the church recommend, and certainly what are the most yeah. uh, important to note? And I think that's important. So there are lots of different NFP methods. Creighton is a very popular one. There's Billings. There's Marquette. And one thing I'll, I'll say, for example, that. I, you know, I'm sure like our grandmothers and our mothers wish that they were able to take advantage of is now there's all these cool apps even. You can use apps to track certain things. There are different monitors to take your temperature as you sleep. Um, and again, it's really embracing science. And I will say, I think I'm noticing a trend as well as this isn't just Catholics embracing natural right. family planning. I'm noticing in different um, Facebook groups even um, of women who have concerns and are waking up to the health concerns that happen from hormonal contraception. They want to use natural methods, you know? And, and so I think the more we can empower women to know the reality of their cycle, the better we are for it. Well, and you have documented extensively the, the dangers medically. Absolutely. Uh, set aside everything else, just the dangers medically of contraception. Exactly. Well, Catherine, stay right there. We have a lot more to talk about uh, coming up in the next segment. We're going to discuss a lot of news about the pro-life movement. My guest, Catherine Hadro, EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. Don't go anywhere. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. This week at AveMariaRadio.net's Poll of the Week, we want to know, do you think it's ethical for journalists to use cell phone data in investigative reporting? Fill out our poll now at AveMariaRadio.net, scroll down on the homepage, and click on Poll of the Week. Welcome back to Crest in the Afternoon. I'm Matthew Bunsen, filling in for Al today. Continuing my conversation with Catherine Hadro, the managing editor and host of EWTN's Pro-Life Weekly. Catherine, we were talking about uh, NFP Awareness uh, Week, mm -hmm. and we were also discussing about some of the science and other things uh, relating to contraception uh, and the dangers that are present mm -hmm. there. Uh, mm -hmm. So let's go back to that for a second, because I think this really is worth d discussing a little yeah. bit more. And that is uh, how you have documented, I know, over the years, uh, mm -hmm. the real dangers that are out there from contraceptive use. Absolutely. I mean, I've spoken with women who have had um, IUD issues that have scarred them and have left them infertile, unfortunately. And I think a big thing to underline, too, with hormonal contraception is when women have health issues and the pill is just given to them, it's a Band-Aid. It's a mask. If, if there is pain, if there are issues, if there are underlying health issues, hormonal contraception does not address that. In fact, it might only worsen it and then delay that woman getting the care they actually truly need. I even you know, recently did a segment on the show looking at how historically there, there are major problematic issues with the way hormonal contraception was tested. It was tested frequently with women in asylums against their will. And so that is the dark history of hormonal contraception, um, which, by the way, Margaret Sanger was deeply involved in that as well, founder of Planned Parenthood. Eugenics. Planned Parenthood can't get away from that truth and that right. reality, absolutely. And so this isn't just, this is, again, not the church putting rules of, oh, don't do this, don't do that. It's the church and her wisdom saying, I love you, Let's teach you, you know, let's let's do what's best for you and your body, you know. But also we know that as Catholics fundamentally we're against contraception, contra against 
conception life that goes against what we believe. And it's, it's uh, ironic in a way, isn't it, that uh, we have, uh, for example, you mentioned uh, Prince Harry and, and Meghan right. Markle receiving right. this award. Right. And yet, uh, as you document, scientifically, medically, uh, contraception is so contrary to what we're supposed to be doing in nature. Uh, yeah. Set aside even, as important as that is, of, of being in sort of line and understanding of our creator. Absolutely. And, I, and this is something I want to delve into even more and just ask even more experts about. But we are seeing the impact of hormones in our environment and getting into our environment. And that's affecting women. It's also affecting men. And that's going to affect our fertility rate as well. We should all be concerned about this. You mentioned a second ago uh, Planned Parenthood, mm -hmm. uh, shifting gears a little yeah. bit. Uh, there's uh, a lot of reporting about uh, the former head of Planned mm -hmm. Parenthood, Dr. Liana Wen. Mm -hmm. uh, what's mm -hmm. happening there? Okay, so Dr. Lena Wen, who, by the way, a lot of listeners might be familiar with her because now she's a frequent face and commentator on CNN speaking about COVID-19. They don't uh, share when she's on CNN. She's the former president of Planned Parenthood, but she has a new book out, and it's called Lifelines, A Doctor's Journey in the Fight for Public Health. So just as a reminder for our listeners, Dr. Lena Wynn, I want to say it's been about two years now, was appointed. She took over for Cecile Richards, who was the longtime president for 12 years, I think, of Planned Parenthood. And, and a fairly infamous figure. I Very think. infamous. Her mother was infamous. She really um, reformed Planned Parenthood and made it more of the powerhouse that it is today, to be quite honest. Uh, Dr. Lena Wynn took over Cecile Richards, and it was, okay, here is this doctor. Here's this actual medical head becoming the head of Planned Parenthood. And it was like, okay, are they going to try to rebrand themselves as this healthcare facility? And in the beginning, that's what Dr. Lena Wen was saying in her interviews. She was really wanting to put more of a focus on healthcare, even mental health services. I think she wanted to help more with diabetes, getting away from this focus on abortion and contraception. Well, now in her new book, we're seeing these bombshells that I think for those of us who have been monitoring Planned Parenthood closely, they're unfortunately not that shocking. But these bombshells that are coming out about her time as that Planned Parenthood president. So I should say within a year of her being president, she was kicked out because she didn't play by Planned Parenthood's rules. And one of those rules was she got a lot of pushback when she was president for focusing on health care and not on abortion. In fact, she claims in her new book, she was told you need to bring up abortion, the word abortion, in every single interview. She pushed back on that. You know, she thought that might isolate people who disagree with us or who have more nuanced views on abortion, which I think is most of America. I think a lot of America, they are very kind of gray on it in some ways. But they, Planned Parenthood said, well, they saw that as her shaming abortion. So there was a lot of tension, and they told her, you have to change your strategy as president of Planned Parenthood or you're out. And she found out she was out by a news alert on her phone. That's how, that's how she was treated. But I want to tell you about another bombshell that was in there as well that was also deeply disturbing. Shortly before she was fired, uh, Dr. Lena Wendt suffered tragically a miscarriage. Um, she, in her new book, says she confided in that with a colleague, and without her knowledge, without her consent, that colleague told others at Planned Parenthood and the higher-ups at Planned Parenthood planned to use Dr. Lena Wen's miscarriage 
as a PR strategy. So she decided to get a hold of that before it went out and took a wrote an op-ed instead. But that was traumatizing as well. So I think this is fascinating that she's coming out and I'm sure she has a lot more to say about her time in the abortion industry. Well, and it tells you uh, in rather stark terms, uh, A, what it was like to work there, yeah. uh, but also how they view not just life in general, but right. their own employees, yeah. not to mention how they treat their own apparent I president. Know. I know. And and to know this is a woman who suffered a miscarriage, and I want to say it was about a month after that that she was kicked out. So that by it itself shows that they're not caring about the woman. They're not really caring about the woman's health care there. Um, I was surprised, I'll say, that she uh, was able to share this. I kind of assumed she was forced to not be able to say anything about her time at Planned Parenthood when she was kicked out. But yeah, you'd she think did. that she would have had an NDA right, or, uh, right. about the, the size of the New York phone book. Exactly. But I think she was really hurt by this. I should say... She's still public about her support for Planned Parenthood, but I think we should all keep in mind, let's pray for her. Mm -hmm. Here's someone who's seen the dark reality of Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Here's someone who has suffered um, the trauma of a miscarriage. Um, and let's just pray for her continued conversion and that she continues to have to see the truth for what it is. Now, by way of comparison, uh, her successor, Alexis McGill Johnson. I'm assuming that she, let's just say that uh, she got the playbook. She got the playbook. She was someone that Planned Parenthood was familiar with. She had been on the board of Planned Parenthood for years. Um, she, and yeah, she was the interim president and then she's been named president. And so far she is continuing to play by their rules and definitely speak uh, loudly and, and proudly about abortion. But I think that is isolating. You know, they are have grown so extreme and unapologetic about being pro-abortion, but that's not where most of America is. Most of America, they do want to see limits on abortion. And that's proven, of course, in polling. So exactly. this isn't simply some wild claim that the, they say the pro-life movement makes. Exactly. And I think that's all the more reason we were speaking a little bit earlier about the need to um, evangelize people and speak the truth and re-educate people. That's part of our mission here, definitely. And it's interesting because a lot of most Americans, I believe, say they support Roe v. Wade, but at the same time say they want to see limits on abortion. So they're not even clear on what Roe v. Wade allows for right. and even what abortion laws are in the United States, which that's, of course, um, a big issue as well um, coming up at the Supreme Court. We have, um, I think it's safe to say, in the current administration under President Joe Biden, mm -hmm. who, let's remind everyone, is, is a Catholic right. uh, who is advancing, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, the most radical pro-abortion agenda, certainly by any president in American history, trying to expand abortion. And he is closely allied with Planned Parenthood in that effort. Yes. And it's interesting because I don't know if Joe Biden was Planned Parenthood's first pick. And this is, I think, what makes it so uh, tragic that he is the most pro-abortion president and only the second Catholic president, which is scandalous. But during his, it was only during his campaign as president that he flipped on the Hyde Amendment. And that, you know, but he did at a point in his campaign say he continued to support the Hyde Amendment. He faced a lot of backlash from the abortion lobby and then flipped on it. So I don't think he was their first choice. I think Kamala Harris may have been Planned Parenthood's first choice. And the, I think they're very happy that she's in, in the um, 
vice presidential spot. But yeah, he he is very pro-abortion. And we saw that yet again in the White House press briefing room just a few days ago um, when Jen Psaki, White House press secretary, was asked about Roe v. Wade because just last week, Mississippi's attorney general, Lynn Fitch, submitted her brief ahead of Mississippi's abortion case and she boldly told, asked the Supreme Court, it's time to overturn Roe v. Wade. And she laid out a clear argument for that. Jen Psaki, White House press secretary, responded that the president strongly supports Roe v. Wade. That's extreme. That's extreme. Yeah. And then uh, anytime she's asked, of course, she stresses, well, he's, he's a Catholic, a devout Catholic who right. goes to mass. Right. Exactly. Which, again, that is scandalous. But there is also a, a lot of movement, it seems, at the Supreme Court and, and on Capitol Hill uh, yeah. to protect life. I'm thinking in particular of uh, the recent actions by U.S. Senator Steve Daines. Yes, yes. And I was able to speak with him this week on EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. He just introduced a new pro-life bill. It's called the Protecting Life on College Campus Act of 2021. He, he um, introduced that in the Senate really an interesting and important concept. What it does is it stops the federal funding of public colleges and universities that offer abortions or abortion pills in their on-campus health clinics. Um, He said this was largely a response to California because they have a new law that requires campus health clinics at state colleges and universities to make abortion pills available to students. In his uh, statement uh, at the time, he, he wrote about these do-it-yourself abortions put young women in dangerous situations that they are oftentimes forced to deal with alone in their dorm room. Yeah. We were talking about the dangers of contraception, but it, it strikes me that uh, these types of abortions are especially risky. They are. They present unique dangers and risks, of course, to the child, but to the mother as well. And that's not something that we hear enough about that this So the abortion pill, what it is, is it's two different pills that a woman takes that starves the life of her baby. And it's done in the first trimester. And what the senator is rightly raising the uh, alarm about is this means college students, 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds in their dorm rooms without their parents even knowing will be taking these abortion pills and suffering the loss of their child alone. So this poses unique harm because they're not in a hospital. They're not in the sight of a doctor. And there's there's serious cramping and bleeding that can happen. There have been deaths linked to abortion pills, but there's also unique psychological harm that happens to a woman. This is her taking the life of her own child in her own hands. And so I think it's important to state with abortion pills, abortion pill reversal is a reality. This is something that any woman, if, if she's taken the first of the two abortion pills, there is hope that she can have abortion pill reversal and save the life of her child. And it's important to know for any woman listening, if you've had an abortion, if you've had the abortion pill, there is hope and healing for you. There are resources. There out are. There. there there are resources. So, Catherine, uh, real quick, uh, your show. Yes. When, airing? Airs tonight on EWTN at 10 p.m. Eastern. All right. Always a joy talking with you. And thank you for all the updates and the work that you're doing. Thank you for having me. It's a joy. Catherine Hadro, EWTN's Pro-Life Weekly. When we come back, I have some closing thoughts on Humani Vitae, the anniversary, and where we are today. I'm Matthew Bunsen. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. Thank you.